I'm Roy Sharples. Welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you seeking inspiration? An industry expert looking for insights or are growing your career? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to provide access to insights and content from creators worldwide with inspirational conversations and storytelling about art, architecture, design, entrepreneurship, fashion, film, music, and pop culture. Tim Greenhalge is the Chief Creative Officer at Lander and Fitch, where he steers its creative direction globally for this brand transformation company. Tim has been awarded for his work with the likes of Lego, McLaren, and Harrods. He has also been a judge and advisor for a number of awards and industry bodies, including the DBA and the D&AD's International Advisory Board. Tim is listed as a retail design luminary by Design Retail and is also a course mentor on the BA for Interior Architecture and Design at the University of the Creative Arts. Hello and welcome, Tim. So what inspired and attracted you to a career in branding within the creative industry in the first place? I don't know if I ever really set out to do branding because, you know, back when I was a boy, um, you know, brands existed, but the kind of world of brands probably wasn't quite as as sharply focused as it is it is now. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the world of creativity. I thought I wanted to do something in the world of art. Um, but I did this thing called a foundation course, which I think is possibly genuinely the happiest year of my life because it was just like going back to the sandpit um, in terms of just being able to play across many different things, whether it's fashion design or printmaking or fine art, or it was just wonderful. Um, but typical of me, I couldn't quite decide what I wanted to do. And I thought I wanted to do graphic design and pottery. Um, but actually what I ended up doing was what was called three-dimensional design in Manchester, which was glass blowing, furniture, um, jewelry design and, and ceramics. Wow. Um, I loved it. Um, but then as I got towards the end of my degree, I realized that I probably didn't want to be a, a potter. So I decided that, um, that I would focus much more on my furniture. Um, and actually, I was lucky enough to get offered a, 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 a scholarship to do an MA because I actually got Young Designer of the Year, not the only one, but one of the Young Designers of the Year for a table I designed, which was based on Battersea Power Station. And as I say, I got a scholarship to do an MA at Manchester in interior design, which I was thrilled about. But they managed to get me a job over the summer for a company called Fitch. So I went down and it was just amazing. I was designing things, working for this business. And I suppose that's the first time I genuinely realized where design met branding because we were working for Debenhams and we were working for Midland Bank, which later became HSBC and all these different companies. And so I asked if I could actually have a full-time job because I felt I was learning more working for Fitch and they did offer me a job. Very quick aside, I then said, could I just quickly have a holiday? Because I've not had a holiday since I finished my degree show. 
They said, yes, of course. I went away to Spain for a week, came back, was so excited about the job <laughs> I had. But I went straight from uh, Victoria Station, having got back to Gatwick Airport, straight into the studio in Soho, hadn't even dropped my bags off and just suddenly couldn't find my desk and said, where's my desk? And they said, well, actually, did you not get the letter? And I said, sorry. They said, well, actually, we had to let you go. Oh. Lost the project. So he said, but you're here now, sit down, get on with something. And when you get home tonight, rip the letter up. So if I'd gone home wow. on holiday, <laughs> anyway, so. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So I guess is perseverance is the, <laughs> is the name of the game. <laughs> um, anyway, but you know, the thing about Fitch, the thing about my career has been, and the thing I've enjoyed the most, I suppose, hence the reason for that long story was just, I love a multidisciplinary world. And if you think about where brands are today, they're everything from websites to apps to spaces to events to films to storytelling, yeah. which is entirely plays into the thing that I find the most interesting about how design can make a difference. It's, it's looking at that multidisciplinary way in which brands can show up in people's lives. Tim, your taste is excellent. The architectural and design marvel of industrial Britain in its magnificent Art Deco style is Battersea Power Station, which dominated the London skyline for generations and was an endless source of inspiration for many music videos, films and television programmes. What inspired you to come up with that? I was trying a lot of different things and my tutor had said to me about because I was, I was more drawn to the kind of the architectural side of yeah. furniture design. Um, I guess I was satisfying my craft bias through my glass blowing and through my ceramics. But when it came to furniture, I was heavily influenced by a lot of Italian designers and also a lot of architects who had quite naturally and often very typically uh, done a lot of furniture design themselves. So he suggested I look to the way in which I could use machines to create pattern and also to create uh, interesting furniture. So the power station, if you look at those, the the actual turret, the actual columns of the power station, yeah. the detail, the art deco detail in those columns is unbelievable. Yeah. So I was actually able to recreate that using routers and machinery in the workshop. Um, and so that's really what inspired it. Plus, as you've already said, um, I spent quite a lot of time just looking at the, it is, if you look at the power station, it is an absolute proportion for any kind of a table. Yeah. So in fact, I think it has been referenced that, that before as the upside down table. Upside down built, billiard table or something was one of the, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I kept it its way up. So it was the four columns yeah. with the chimneys within a, um, a glass, uh, a glass top, and yeah, Margaret Thatcher saw it at my show and asked me if she could have it for the um, hallway at Number Ten Downing Street. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think she was just being polite. But, uh, <laughs> when did you first get the inclination that you were creative? I mean, ever since a child, um, all I'd done was really, apart from sport. Um, was was drawing. I just spent my entire time drawing. It was a thing that was kind of my happy place. Yeah. Um, so as I say, um, my parents had friends who were artists and I just used to love spending time with them and watching what they were doing and things. Um, my mum was an actress as well as a director. So I spent a lot of time in my early years painting sets, building sets for theatre productions yeah. and stuff. So that was, was fascinating. But I think... 
as I say, I did the foundation course, Happiest Year of My Life. I studied the various things I said, but I think it was the first time when I actually presented to a client and the client at a relatively young age and the client seemed rather engaged and rather compelled to go with my suggestion that I suddenly realized that maybe at this point now I'm starting to become creative. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I make a difference as, as I think it's important to do between being an artist and being a designer. Yeah. I think with a designer, you know, we're producing, I'm producing something for somebody else. Yes. Uh, and that's not to say that artists don't, but they live more within their own heads and they're producing things for themselves that they hope the outside world will appreciate. Whereas with design, I think what we do has an end use. And I think, you know, one of the things I've always said is that part of our jobs as creatives and designers is to get a client to say maybe rather than no. And what I mean by that is because of what we do, we live in a dark world. We live in the magic arts of yeah. creativity and ideas. It's very subjective. And I think well, sometimes we can be, we can do things that make our clients quite nervous. Um, but equally, and their instinct would be to say, no, that won't work. Whereas our job is to make sure clients understand how it could work, how it could make the world, their brand, their product, their offer better. Um, and I think that's the true creativity, which is to, not just be able to draw something that's amazing, but to get somebody to understand it and, and agree to it. Yes. In that context, creativity is new ideas that have a use, commercial and societal value. That's also a fair general description of an artist and designer, whereas the artist in general designs for themselves by their own individual sense of the aesthetics and the, the, the outcome. Whereas designers tend to design for people and the practical use of what they're designing for and how to adapt their designs to appeal to others, not necessarily them, themselves. So Tim, what, what is your creative process in terms of how do you make the invisible visible by dreaming up ideas, developing them into concepts, and then bringing them to actualization? So how do you bring ideas to life is, you know, is a very interesting question. Um, I think, I think the, the, the thing that I realized very quickly was, um, of course, you're given a brief, um, unless you are creating something purely from scratch, which very rarely happens. Um, I've, I've always been taught that it's really important to, to understand who you are designing for. And actually, I find that the most fascinating about <clears throat> excuse me, spending time understanding who the customer is, what their ambitions are, what their needs are, what their wants are, what their dreams are. Um, and then starting to think through their eyes as to how best to produce an idea. Um, the next stage, I think, would then be to, to understand the convention of what you're designing. And I say that really passionately because I think that any creative, any designer can't look to challenge a convention unless they've truly understood the convention. Exactly. Convention yes. And respected it. Because otherwise, that's just anarchy. You're just being punkish. Yes. Rather than questioning and challenging. And so I think to understand the dynamic of a convention, can you, as I've already said, can you only then truly sit down and then challenge that convention? And that is something through my formative years that I was taught to do, which was not to just 
draw my way out of a paper bag, but to think of my way out of a paper bag, to, to sit down and to look at something and write, spend more time writing in the early stages of, of things that come to mind in terms of things that are typical, how it might be challenged. And then the other thing that we've always done, and I've always hopefully done quite successful, because um, I've always been a great proponent of this idea of bold thinking, you know, is, is, to, is to not look for the answer, uh, as it were, almost right next door to where you're sitting, to really look in other places first. Um, because I think it's often the out of categories where you find the more interesting, the more interesting ideas. So um, again, I hope I'm answering your question in that I think understand the customer, understand the convention so that you can challenge the convention, and then look for inspiration. I'm, I'm not abashed or embarrassed to say you shouldn't be looking for inspiration by looking at other other work that's being done. I mean, um, the final answer, the true answer to your question, I think, however, as I'm, as I'm talking this through, and it's one of those questions that's getting me to almost think about it myself in a way I haven't maybe done for a while is, is and I've, I say this to a lot of young designers when they start with us, is please, whatever you do, don't lose your curiosity. Yeah. Because I think, I think that to me, and that kind of sense of enthusiasm, that sense of wonder, that sense of wanting to learn constantly, to me is, is what has kept me still really excited about colouring in, because that's what I do for a living. Your point about anarchy and being punkish, in that context, yes, you have to know enough about something to reject conventions by constantly analysing, questioning and challenging the status quo by providing an alternative as an improved solution. I remember, I mean, I remember we were working for a, um, a really large business in Hong Kong who wanted to launch this new or improve their supermarket chain, big supermarket run by people, ex-Tesco's, ex-Asda, ex-Sainsbury's, you know, expats working in Hong Kong. And the only way for us to understand about how Chinese people both shop and eat was for us to spend time in wet markets, yes. which are the most fascinating places in the world. Yeah, you know, to understand that unlike a British consumer, you know, people in in China and Hong Kong are shopping three times a day because they always want the freshest product they can get. Yeah. So you know, they don't have big larders, they don't have big storerooms. I I, I, I digress to make a point, which is. If we hadn't have spent time yeah. in these wet markets, if we hadn't have watched how these people eat, and if we hadn't have really understood how they would appreciate a more modern, maybe slightly more Western experience, as opposed to just giving them what we'd always designed in the UK, I don't think we'd have come up with as good a solution as we did, because it was the beauty of, of, of West meets, East meets West yeah. that actually came up with the solution we came up with, which was, which was fascinating, I think. Yeah, that research-led approach that applies ethnographic and anthropological techniques and tools that encompass observing people's behaviours and their natural situations to capture what they do. And this approach helps understand the cultural trends and lifestyle factors through context, norms, routine, and the daily life habits within communities and societies. In a way, it's a little bit like method acting, which was adopted by actors like Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro and, and Daniel Day-Lewis to 
emotionally self-identify with the character and fully immerse themselves in a role. So to give an example of that, Daniel Day-Lewis infamously prepared for his roles in excruciating detail by experiencing the lives and feelings of the characters he played, often going to extreme dedication. So, For example, he, he learned how to write and paint with his feet and spent weeks in a clinic to deeply connect with the condition of cerebral palsy when he did the role in My Left Foot. So my point is, you can never do that from hypothesis and remote research like using the internet. You have to experience it physically by doing it. Exactly. And I think that when you know when you work in a business that is like Landor and Fitch, where a lot of our work is just pure expression. So it's how yes. a brand expresses itself visually and in kind of more through the graphic arts. Um, or equally how you how a brand creates an experience. You know, both of those require you, as you've just said, to use some kind of a method approach, which is to truly understand what it is like to be a customer trying to buy a pair of training shoes or what is it to be a customer who wants to start a new skin regime. So yeah. they're, they're looking for the best beauty brand to work with or to, to get involved with. And we have to understand that. We did a, a great piece of research for a, uh, a sportswear brand where they were trying to understand Gen Z consumers. Mm. And so we basically... We, we basically didn't live with them, but they came in, they did workshops with them. We asked them to keep diaries, you know, the class, classic ethnographic research. Yeah. But the things we found out, which completely turned around some of the preconditions, that the pre-thoughts that we had was, you know, they don't particularly like shopping. They don't particularly look up when they go into stores. They hate being yes. approached by staff. They don't really read the signage. And they'd much rather shop through their mobile phone. I mean, you know, we were like, we'd come up with all these ideas prior to this of amazing signage and videos. And it just all was debunked by yeah. talking to them. And the other one was that we found that, um, which was a phrase that, that's lived with us for a while, which is that these people, these people, listen to it, Gen Z consumers are in a constant state of partial attention. Yes. <laughs> which was just the best creative brief we've ever had. Because actually, I look at my own sons, who are now 20 and 21 and 19, and used to think that they just were not listening to me and my wife when we were talking to them, because they were constantly staring at their phones. But they were absolutely paying attention. Yeah. They, knew, they know exactly what's going on. It's just we have to design in a different way for these people. And it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What are the critical skills needed to survive and thrive as a creative leader in branding um, organizations? I think you can never lose your curiosity. You can never assume you know the answer without firstly really interrogating the convention and understanding what it is you're designing. But then I think there's the other aspect, which is, which is, you know, I might have been a little bit jealously guarding of my own, you know, my own projection through a career path and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose after a while, you then start to do, which I think is absolutely right, which is you start to recognize actually other talent and actually promote other talent uh, because I can't be the oldest ponytail in town. I don't want to be the oldest ponytail in town. I, I have to, at some point, fulfill the second half of my job title, which is director. Yeah. Yes, I'm a creative director, 
yes, I can still draw. Yes, hopefully I can still have a good idea. But to my mind is actually, to answer your question is to actually, and this is probably what I spend more of my time doing than actually drawing, even though I love drawing, is creating a culture that encourages bold thinking. Going back to that phrase I've already used. And it's the culture side of it where people feel that they have the right to come up with a stupid idea, speak openly in meetings, not be afraid of being, you know, patronized or, or looked down upon, you know, and, and, you know, it is that kind of classic, you know, any idea is a good idea at the beginning. You just have to make sure it's a brilliant idea by the end. So I think from my point of view, um, it's, it's keeping that enthusiasm, keeping that curiosity and making sure that, that we don't, we just, we, 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 the culture, the creative culture is one of, as I say, boldness, curiosity, and and um, and agitated. I think creating and curating a culture where people feel empowered, free, and safe to express themselves and create without fear, where people approach ideation and problem solving openly and innovatively by trying out new ideas and ways of thinking and doing. We're all human beings, aren't we? And I think, you know, we're all guilty at times of complacency, of arrogance, of conceitedness and all that type of stuff. And I think what's interesting and what I've always enjoyed about where I've worked, particularly at Fitch, but also at Comran, when I worked with, with Comran, was... They were wonderful breeding grounds for young talent. That actually the graduate program, the new, like I was at, at the beginning, new students coming in, actually keeps the energy and the culture of the business going. Exactly. So, you know, you may be 10 years into your career and you may have reached some dizzy heights and had, you know, promotions every year. But suddenly this young hotshot comes in from a young college who's 22 years old and completely changes the way you think about how you're designing. And to my mind, that's, that's the exciting part of what we do, that it always still feels like being a college. Right. Embracing originality and, and, and making unique connections between disparate universes to, to find the future. And by having an insatiable feeling of you never know enough and are always in the constant search for that trigger to generate new experiences and inspiration, that fuel your imagination and having that childlike wonder and curiosity and approaching the world through the innocence of a child's eyes. Tim, as you reflect upon your career to date, what are your lessons learned in terms of the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with existing and aspiring creative directors? It probably goes without saying that every designer I've ever met is constantly frustrated, never happy with what they've done, always think they could have done it better. <laughs> and I think that's a wonderful attribute to have. Yeah. Um, because I think, going back to that word complacency, um, you know, I think a pitfall would be to, to assume you've arrived and you've, you're, you've, got, you've got to the destination. And, I, and I, I, that worries me. You know, I, 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 the, the energy to be constantly looking for new ideas is the thing you've really got to keep alive. Um, and, and keeping a level of naivety. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm 57 years old. I've been working in this industry 
for 34 years. Who cares? I mean, really, who cares? If I can't come up with an original idea, if I can't come up with an idea that gets the room, whether that's an internal audience or a client audience, if I can't get in with the room excited, then it doesn't matter how much experience I've got, I've just become dull. Right. And I've become dull because I'm not, I've lost the enthusiasm, I've lost the curiosity. There's that word again. So I think, uh, but I mean, is you asked me about whether that's a pitfall, and, and I've got to be careful that I'm not in any way accusing anybody of being those things. I just think it is something that we all should be mindful of, yeah. whatever career we're in, about about just about complacency. And I think I think that's an interesting one. And I think that, and I am going to, I'm sorry, I'm starting to sound like a broken record now. Um, the world is changing faster and faster all the time. Nobody expects me at my age to be the latest TikTok wizard. <laughs> Goodness me. But my curiosity needs to be of a level where it's not an alien concept to me that I can understand. Because I think our curiosity, again, is something that will only contribute to fueling new, interesting, groundbreaking ideas. And with so much that's going on at the moment, I mean, I'm fascinated. I don't know if you've spent much time looking at the kind of stuff that Elon Musk is doing around open AI. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just fantastic. Yeah. You know, is it scary? I don't know if I know enough about it yet. I've been looking at it quite a lot recently. But I think the whole, the whole uh, if you can say it, it can happen idea yeah. is fascinating. Absolutely. But it, then it gets me to think about what does that mean for 21st century design? Well, I think it's got a lot of exciting possibilities. It just means that, you know, being able to use Photoshop may not be your ultimate attribute in the next 10 years yeah. because that might be done by, by an algorithm. Great points, Tim. Creativity will continue to be the difference humans make in the future. Yes, intelligent technologies can increasingly expedite the majority of roles a human can, but the future workplace is where humans will work in unison with artificial intelligence or the technological equivalent. Robots have multiplied productivity and replaced humans in many work lines, freeing up humans to perform more creative and self-fulfilling roles that have yet to be defined, which makes it even more exciting. What's your vision for the future of the creative industry and the role of creativity? So I think that's going to be around fluidity. You know, I am asking my executive creative directors and creative directors, uh, I'm asking them to be uh, non-specific, increasingly non-specific. What do I mean by that? Yes, they may have come up through the business as being the best graphic designers, the best interior designers, the best web designers. But now as creative directors and now as leaders who are directing creativity in a far more dynamic world that we live in, I want them to be wildly conceptual. And that actually what I'm looking for, and I think what we are going to see a lot more of these days, is that the idea will be the thing that carries much creativity through. Now, is that new? Well, of course, that's not new. Does it have a greater resonance these days? I think so. I think that with so much that's happening in the world and so much need for both brands to communicate clearly and for the audience to understand clearly, the power of the idea and the power of storytelling is going to be really, really important. And I think that, that you know, one of the things I've been looking at 
is, and I've been talking to some friends of mine who work in the education industry, is to what extent that might be a rethinking of the curriculum at some of the universities, you know, this idea that we should be encouraging as much critical thinking education as we are practical skills education. Um, but ultimately, I think I'll, I'll go back to where I started and just say, I think that um, I'm encouraging my team, the people I work with, to be far more fluid in their approach. And I love that word. I think it's a yeah. it's a word to hold on to in terms of in terms of how they how they come up with their conceptual ideas. Yes, your point on instilling creativity as a core discipline at the grassroots of the education curriculum so that it's nurtured throughout the education system, which recognises intelligence as multifaceted by embracing emotional and social intelligence, critical thinking and practical problem solving, by integrating science, arts and humanities as equal parts of the learning jigsaw. Just how soon is the future? One thing for sure, the future is unwritten and everything is possible. Do you want to learn more about how to create without frontiers by unleashing your creative power? Then consider getting Creativity Without Frontiers. How to make the invisible visible by lighting the way into the future. It's available in print, digital and audio on all relevant book platforms. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.